Duke basketball fans, welcome to episode 431 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Guess what, guys? We're all here this time. We've, we've done a few of these where we had to have someone absent, but Sam, Donald, and Jason, we are all on board for this edition of the podcast because there's big news. Actually, there's not really big news. It's kind of medium-sized news. Anyway. Kind of a waste of a full episode for us. <laughs> I will say, no, one, one I think is fairly big, and one is like... It's not news, but it's things that we've just kind of been able to piece together as all these little news nuggets come out. Duke is playing NC State in football every year for the rest of time. We are here to talk about it. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) Sam just just told you, on this episode, a lot of stuff about the schedule. We're first going to be talking about the Duke basketball schedule. We have gotten a lot of intel on it lately. We think we've got it pretty much pieced together other than a couple little fill-ins here and there. But the Duke basketball schedule, specifically who Duke plays in the ACC season, has been revealed. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the football schedule, as Sam just teased. The ACC has changed the way football divisions are working. And we may have a little bit of recruiting news, a little bit of news about Dukies in the NBA, some other stuff. You know, we're going to fill your time, people, because that's what we do. No reason for introductions, because like I said, you know who we are. So, guys, let's get started first with the basketball schedule. And I want to do it this way. Folks, if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'm going to give you really quick who Duke's preseason schedule is up until a point and then the ACC schedule. So here we go. Get ready. Duke starts November 7th against Jacksonville. We then have a game four days later against USC Upstate, South Carolina Upstate. Then comes the tough stuff. uh, November 15th, Duke is playing Kansas in Indianapolis, part of the tip-off, the Champions, I'm sorry, the Champions Classic, no longer the tip-off Classic. Duke has a game against Bellarmine. We've played Bellarmine before. They won the Atlantic Sun last year, a very interesting team. Um, Duke plays in the PK85 tournament. That is celebrating Phil Knight of Nike. And and I'll talk in a second. Uh, I know the bracket that Duke is in. It's a very interesting bracket. And then Duke has Ohio State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge on November 30th, a revenge game for our game against Ohio State last year. And then on December 6th, Duke plays Iowa uh, in New York City. We get Chris Murray, the brother of the recently drafted Murray. Um, and, uh, and that's pretty much what we know for the non-conference schedule. I think there are probably a couple more games that will be filled in in December. The big thing we got is the ACC schedule. And the, the, the thing you always look at is who does Duke have home and home with? So here are the six teams that Duke is playing home and home. UNC every year, Wake Forest every year. The other rotating teams are we get BC twice, we get Miami twice, NC State, and Virginia Tech. Guys, let's, let's really look at that ACC schedule. And, and, and by the way, it's worth noting that Duke – there are a couple teams, very good teams, that Duke only plays on the road, specifically Virginia. We don't get Virginia at home. We do get Virginia on the road. I, I, I want to chat about this ACC schedule because I, I'm sort of torn on it. On the one hand – I feel like Wake is not going to be as good as they were last year. BC has struggled for a while. They're not getting that much better. Um, I think Virginia Tech probably isn't quite as good as they were last year. Uh, NC State will be better than last year, but NC State's still not going to be that great. I kind of like the home and home because I think with, with, with UNC and Miami, those are the only two really tough home and home teams we have. But I really don't like the fact that we get Virginia on the road and we don't get a return date with Virginia. I think Virginia might be they're probably the third best team in the ACC, if you ask me. So, uh, Donald, I'll come to you first. 
talk about the ACC, talk about the, the, the rest of the schedule that we have. Give me what you got on what it looks like John Shire's first season will be like. So uh, just briefly on the ACC, I think while we know the teams that we're going to be playing home away or both, it, for me, that doesn't strike home until we know exactly when we play each team. Because as you know, there's some of those dates where we feel like there's going to be a, an easy load of the schedule. And then there's going to be a couple of, of times in that conference schedule where things are going to back up on each other. We'll have the UNC games maybe backed up against another difficult opponent that happens every single year. And we're going to get a murderer's row sorts of games, three or four in a row, where we're going to consider those very difficult. But I can't really get into that until we know what dates those are. I will start with this. And this is a personal note. Last year, we played Ohio State at Ohio State on my birthday. We ended up losing. This year, I turned 40. On the same day, we play Ohio State at home. I swear to God, y'all better beat Ohio State on my 40th birthday. That's all I have to say about Ohio State. But the rest of the schedule, I think, kind of lines up. And, and Jason, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started. There's still a couple of games that are out there that maybe fill in. And, and I don't expect those to be big-time opponents. We have, honestly, you know, some teams that I didn't expect to see quite a bit of. Right? We, see, we have Kansas. We have Ohio State. And then Iowa will be a, a pretty decent opponent as well at the Garden. That's kind of our home away from home game, in addition to the PK-85 uh, tournament. So that's a lot of big-name teams that we can see in the first you know six weeks of the season. I think the rest of these games, the two or three that we end up having to fill out our non-conference schedule, are going to be some of these teams that are from lower mid-major um, teams. And I cannot uh, – I don't know uh, what will happen – with those teams, but I don't think they're going to be big time opponents. Yeah. I, I, and those are probably going to be games that are going to come around Christmas, maybe new year's where, you know, the team's going to be coming off the, uh, the, the exam break off of mm-hmm. perhaps a Christmas break. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. We've, we've got a good sense of who Duke is playing in this non-conference schedule uh, because I think those games are not going to be tough opponents. And, and that PK 85 tournament, j- just so folks know, here's the bracket that Duke is in Duke's in a bracket with Gonzaga, Florida, Oregon State, Purdue, West Virginia, Xavier, and Portland State. Now, Portland State is sort of the team that sticks out there as not belonging, and I think that probably Gonzaga will get Portland State. The The worst of those other teams is Oregon State, and my bet is that Duke will get Oregon State in their opening game, and my bet is that Duke and Gonzaga will be on opposite sides of the bracket. But that PK-85 is going to be, like I say, I think Duke will probably play Oregon State and then someone like a Purdue, a West Virginia, a Xavier, or a Florida – and then if we win, we probably play Gonzaga. That is a really, when you combine that with the other games on our schedule, with Kansas, with Iowa, who's a top 25 team, with Ohio State, who's a top 25 team, Sam, this is a pretty impressive non-conference schedule, isn't it? Yeah, I am uh, delighted at the way John Shire has scheduled here. It's not like Duke has brought back a ton of non-conference road games. I can imagine that it will take him you know, an extra year or two to maybe get his footing and decide that he wants to play, you know, at a Kansas or a Michigan or something. But in lieu of that, first of all, the PK 85 has, as you said, has an awesome murderer's row of, of great programs who are going to be there. So Duke probably gets, you know, if they get Portland state in the first game, then they get two really good games. If they get anyone other than Portland state, they probably get three really good games. Well, in the wait a minute. I think Duke's going to get, like I said, I think they're going to get Oregon state and Oregon state is not good. 
They're, they're, okay. they're one of so, the worst teams in the pack, but it's still, it's a, it's a power conference team. Yeah. Even, even if it's two good games, right? We've gotten used to some years, Duke only getting two or three good games in, in the non-conference. They're likely to get two games in the PK 85. They get the champions classic, which they always have. They get Ohio state at home in the ACC big 10 challenge. And Duke gets a second big 10 game against Iowa, who has been one of the more competitive national teams in the big 10, the last few years, Duke gets Iowa in the Madison square garden game, a game where Duke probably has the home crowd, but again, is a, is a tournament style game where uh, Duke is playing in, in, in big arenas for these events. The PK 85 is very far away. Uh, you know, we, we, we like to lament anytime Duke has to go that far away from home to play in the tournament. They're, they're going all the way to Portland for Thanksgiving this year, which should be great prep for a team with a lot of guys who are coming together for the first time. I'm not going to say, and, and I'm going to tell you guys to hold me accountable to this. I am not going to say this is a young team. It is a young team in terms of years at Duke. It is not a young team in terms of years in college basketball. Duke is bringing in a lot of experienced players this year. So youth is not the problem. Inexperience at Duke will be a problem, obviously on the bench. John Shire hasn't been the head coach yet, but they're going to get a lot of opportunities in the non-conference to prove themselves. Now, looking ahead to the conference schedule, Jason, I think you have it right. I think Duke generally lucked out here, like not getting a return game from Virginia is annoying, but given how many perennially strong teams there are in the ACC, Duke got a relatively easy home and home slate, um, adding NC State back as a, as a home and home partner in addition to Wake Forest, who Duke always gets is, is probably a boon. I say that now, watch, Duke is going to go to Raleigh and get waxed by the pack, but whatever that happens every time we win the championship. So you take the good with the bad, uh, but getting a home and home with BC is a good thing. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb based on the experience I had going to see Duke play BC uh, this past season that when they go to Chestnut Hill, it's as much of a home game as it is when they play in Cameron. So uh, it's, I, I, I think that the schedule actually actually works out fairly well for Duke where, the ACC schedule is probably slightly easier than most teams get. And the non-conference schedule, I think, is a little bit better than what we've been used to under Coach K. And I hope that, you know, even though it's mostly a, a, a result of playing in, in big NBA arenas, hopefully it means that John Shire likes playing more big opponents and there are more opportunities for Duke to do. Maybe they bring back home-and-home home events with major non-conference opponents. So you mentioned the fact that we have to go all the way to Portland to play in the PK 85. Obviously that makes sense. That's where uh, Nike is based, but uh, guys, that's two years in a row that we have had big games, or in this case, a potential big game that's going to take place in the West. Remember we played Gonzaga on black Friday last year in Las Vegas. This year we're playing PK 85. We also, if you think about it, we also played in the West regional ended up winning the rest regional on our way to the final four last season we will be playing in madison square garden which hosts the east regional this year so this is very strategic on duke's part i know we like to play the garden every year if we try if we can but this is even more strategic given the fact that that is a place that obviously will be circled that's going to be the region that we're going to want to be in that is the east regional and if we have as good a record under john shire at the garden as we did under coach k that is obviously another path to the final four for us Donald, Jason, can I ask you guys, what are the odds that we're all together for any of 
the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the PK-85, and or the Iowa game? Any of those that you guys are thinking about going to? I, I haven't decided yet. I, I was going to note, by the way, that uh, in terms of us getting to see games, getting to see Duke this year, this is a great schedule. Sam, they come to Boston for BC. They come to Can't Georgia. Wait. They come to Georgia Tech. They come to Atlanta for Georgia Tech. So I get that. And Donald, we don't need to come to your town because no one travels. No one in the world travels for sporting events the way Donald does. So Donald can get on the road and see a game. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at the schedule to really figure out exactly if there's a, a game I, may, I might make. You guys field. are certainly welcome to come to Boston for the, for the Boston College game. I have never been to Conti. Um, I would love to do that. Um, I've been to a game at, uh, in, at Georgia Tech, but I would love to go back there. I will say this, though, I think of those games, the only one that I have a potential to go to is the Champions Classic in Indianapolis. Um, right after that, I leave for the World Cup, which, as you know, should be playing right now. But because it's going to be in Qatar, it starts on November 21st, which means I'll be missing the PK-85 Classic. I will most likely miss that Iowa game in the Garden. Uh, but that means more ACC travel dates for me, baby. So let's do it. I am working on... Uh, getting the family to do Thanksgiving on the West Coast so that specifically so that I can get to the PK 85. So if, nice. if any of the listeners, if any of the <laughs> listeners out there, I, I don't know if any of these specific people exist, but if any of you are friends with my parents and can <laughs> can convince them that we need to skip the East Coast this year for Thanksgiving and do West Coast Thanksgiving, I would be very appreciative of it. So whoever whoever in the hive here is is uh is in contact with my parents please make that happen sam let me just give you some background on how i got to go to vegas last year i go to my dad and i go hey dad we should do vegas for thanksgiving this year my dad goes okay duh that makes sense why would i mean why in particular vegas oh duke is playing gazette and he goes okay well we already have a hotel room booked wait did you just book it while i talked to you yes i did that's how that's how easy it was to get out there so just say hey this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're doing. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, I need to get on that. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there's also a football schedule, some really interesting football scheduling news that the ACC made in just the past couple of days. We will react to it after this break. All right, we're back from the break, and the ACC has completely changed the way football is going to work in this conference. There are no more divisions. The Atlantic and the Coastal Divisions, gone. No longer exist. Now, this is not this season. This starts in 2023. We will have one final year of the Atlantic and the Coastal. But May they rest <laughs> in not peace. Yeah. What a dumb concept. Never made we'll sense. Always, we'll always have 2012, though. We did in, right. in 2013. In 2013, Duke won the Coastal Division before Miami, before North Carolina, before all these other programs. Duke won the Coastal Division. They were only the third team ever to win the Coastal Division. Sorry. In any event, divisions starting next year will be gone. The ACC will be going to a new scheduling uh, format where you will have three, count them, three permanent opponents that you will play every single year and then you will rotate. They're calling it a three, five, and five. You will rotate among five other teams in the conference one year and five other teams another year. It actually doesn't work out that you play them every other year 
But what, what happens is over the course of a four-year span, which is exactly how long kids are in school, over four years, you will play every team in the conference twice, once home, once away, and you also have these three teams that are your permanent opponents. So let's start with Duke's permanent opponents because, gentlemen, what a home run. What a fabulous, wonderful thing it was done for Duke to get as their three permanent annual opponents, UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest. The, the big four is back for the Duke Blue Devils. And by the way, we're the only one of the big four that got that. NC State doesn't play Duke, UNC, and Wake. Wake doesn't play Duke, UNC, and NC State. UNC, you know, you can figure out what I'm saying. Duke is the only school. We are the big winner in all of this because Duke gets UNC, NC State, and Wake every single year. But there is one casualty in all of this stuff. Duke has played Georgia Tech every year since 1933. It is a phenomenally long, you know, annual tradition of the Blue Devils and the Yellow Jackets playing each other. That will end under this new scheduling format because they, they, they'll only play Georgia Tech twice every four years. So that's kind of sad. But on the other hand, I will take it. I will exchange that for getting what we've gotten with Duke, UNC, uh, Wake Forest, and NC State being permanently locked together, at least for the Blue Devils. Sam, react to me. What, what do you think about this new schedule? I absolutely love this. I think that one of the things we lament as Duke football fans, and, and I know we, we've not been talking about Duke football as much in recent years as we did, I think, a few years ago on this podcast, but as the three of us being Duke football fans, I think it's great for Duke to play more games locally. As much as football is becoming more of a national thing and the playoff is more important and these big conferences are more important, let's be honest with each other. Duke football is not creating a national brand the way that Duke basketball is. And the more Duke football is able to create a local presence by having you know, a lot of home games, but also a lot of road games that are drivable for Duke fans who are living in the triangle, the better it is for the program. So I am very happy about this. I am totally fine with Duke football not being like an important national football program. It wasn't going to happen before this, this changing of the ACC schedule. And now it gives uh, Duke fans in the triangle more opportunities to see the Blue Devils. And it was so silly before Jason. I know it, it stinks that they don't play Georgia tech as much, but it was so silly under the, the Atlantic and coastal division setup that Duke only got to play NC state like once every six years. And it was crazy. And it, they would it made, go, it made they would no go, sense. It was bizarre. We go, were in the same conference with NC state and we would play them like once in a blue moon. We're in the yeah. same conference with Clemson. We never played them. It was just strange. And not having not having NC State travel to Durham every other year is just silly. So I'm really glad that this is the case. Uh, quite frankly, I, I've I've expressed before how much I am am you know fairly ambivalent about the rest of the the conference. Like what happens to Pitt football or Louisville football or Florida State football? It's kind of irrelevant to me. I I, I just don't know how much it it matters for the sake of the conference or for the sake of Duke. So. If Duke gets to play local teams more often, I'm totally for that. Yeah, for me, I, I like that part of it for Duke, especially because, you know, 
I like when teams don't have to travel that far away from home. And for the first couple of years of the schedule and really every year, because if you consider it, a third of the games are going to be in the state of North Carolina, no matter what, like that's a great thing. Uh, and that's not counting the non-conference schedule. That's not counting those trips to Virginia tech or Virginia uh, or Clemson that aren't that Donald, far a third, uh, almost two thirds of Duke's games will be in the state of North Carolina every year. Cause that's every that's home true, game yeah. plus, plus one or two more games. And by the way, Duke usually plays an extra home game or two in the non-conference. They yep. often play local teams like Elon, like UNC Charlotte, like NC whoever. state or NCAA. So, yeah. So, so Duke, Duke continuing to play in North Carolina is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And that means that that's less travel. That means, you know, less tired legs and, and, and through the meat of the schedule, they don't have to worry about all these other logistics with travel and just the, the sheer tiredness that you can get with it. But I will say this. I think, uh, Jason, it's funny you mentioned Georgia Tech. At first glance, when you look at this, Georgia Tech, I believe, is the only school that Duke will not see in the next two years after this season. Um, right. And so it's like the, it's, it's just the one quirk where, yes, you're still going to get a couple of teams where you don't see them for a couple of seasons. But for the most part, the great thing about the schedule is no more like Sam alluded to no more NC state every six or seven or eight years. You're going to see every t- every player who goes to Duke or every player goes to any school in the conference should see every other team in the conference before they graduate or before they turn pro after three years. Like that is the idea here is that every team at some point will come to your campus to play football. I think that is a great thing because you, it's hard to promote a conference when you can't or, or promote teams in the conference as being good or whatever, when you never see them. And, and I think that's for the fans. You want to be able to see, you know, us play Clemson, us play Florida state, this Notre Dame schedule, I think is going to continue as well. I believe we have them at home next year in 2023 at, under this new schedule. So, uh, and that's not going to be part of the, of the, of the conference schedule, but still that's another quote unquote conference opponent that you're going to see once again in Durham. So I think those things are, are trying to get fans motivated to come out to football. And Jason, a, a quick tease. We have a lot to be excited about for with, with the new regime of, of Duke football and how things have been progressing so far under Mike Elko. This adds to that because it means nothing if fans aren't excited about the teams for which Duke is going to play. Now they're going to be excited to play everybody. Yeah, Donald, you just mentioned it, and I just want folks to understand this. I and mean, we're not going to get, we're not going to do a deep dive on football recruiting. That's not what this podcast does. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not enough of an expert on football recruiting to give you the deep dive that that other people might be able to. But if you have not noticed in the past week to ten days what has been going on with Duke football recruiting, wow, Mike Elko is just—it's unreal. Duke has announced more than a dozen recruits have announced in like the past week that they are attending Duke. In just the past couple of days, we signed a defensive back, a kid named Musa Kane, who had offers from Penn State. Clemson and Oklahoma. Let's be clear. Duke just signed a kid who could have gone to Penn State, Clemson, or Oklahoma. Uh, We also just signed a wide receiver who had offers from West Virginia and Maryland. The Duke class that Mike Elko has signed so far is the 17th best class in the country, according to 24-7. It is the third best class in the ACC. And now, obviously, Clemson is number one, but Duke is currently number three in the ACC in recruiting. It is really impressive what Elko has done. And again, this has happened just in the past week to 10 days or so. And it's worth noting that almost all the recruits that we're getting are kids who've been at Duke's, you know, football camp that they've had lately. 
So our coaches have gotten a really good look at them. They know what these guys can do. And Mike Elko and his staff have been at big time programs. They've been at programs that typically recruit better players than Duke usually gets. So for them to be making offers and getting commitments from these kids means they are seeing something that they really like. And, and I just think it's tremendously impressive that for a brand new guy on the scene, Mike Elko is just hitting a home run in recruiting right out of the box. It's really great. If you, if you just, you mentioned, if you look on social media, like their Duke football social media, the last two weeks has just been littered with this guy's getting committed. This guy's committed. This guy's committed. They even have their own version of the brotherhood committed video. They have their own football committed version uh, of a video now that they get to put out. And that has been uh, getting a lot of airplay over the last week or so. So it's great to see. And again, that feeds more excitement about this. Again, this new regime of football. We, we are now in a position where Duke fans are saying, Hey, we do not, we do not find acceptable contending with the bottom of the ACC. We find it acceptable to be going to bowl games and competing me at least this year for a division title. And then next year, trying to make it to that upper echelon of the ACC. I think this is a nice foundation to do that. And, and Donald, by the way, before we go, there are two other quick things we're going to do. First one is, I know you wanted to talk about a couple of Dukies who are going to get a chance in the NBA, right? Yeah, I mean, a chance is, is all you can ask for, but these are two guys that I think are beloved amongst Duke fans that are going to get their opportunity uh, by signing summer league deals with a couple of teams. Theo John, who just recently graduated, signed a nugget, or I'm sorry, to deal with the Timberwolves to join their summer league team. Mind you, summer league starts in about a week, so he's going to get a couple of weeks of basketball with them to hopefully earn a spot uh, uh, in, the, in the camp that they're going to have, the training camp that they'll have come September. And Jack White, uh, Jack White, who graduated in 2020, he spent the last two seasons with Melbourne United in the National Basketball League in Australia uh, near his hometown. He is signed a summer league deal with the Denver Nuggets. So uh, I think those are great opportunities for both of them to uh, not just be seen, but also make an impression. And it doesn't have to be with the teams that they signed for. Every team has a summer league team. So even if they don't latch on to the T-Wolves or the Nuggets, another team may like what they're seeing and give them a shot at their training camp. So congratulations to both of them and looking forward to seeing that. Those games are going to be on ESPN Family Networks, uh, usually like late at night uh, over the next couple of weeks. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in this camp and hopefully they can stick. I have little doubt that Theo John will at least carve out a couple years shuttling between the G League and the NBA because his size and his athleticism and his Wait, really Sam you th- I mean I love Theo I love Theo you think no Theo's I do earn NBA money I do uh, I I think that that his his general athletic prowess and his extremely good attitude for being a bench player who just brings energy and and leadership to the team even as a relatively young guy in the NBA he was old for college but he'll be young in the NBA I think that that actually speaks volumes in a way that like you know Wendell Moore was a first round draft pick I think in large part because he was a leader on the team there are lots of guys I think who can do athletically what Wendell Moore Jr. can do Theo John can't do all the things that Wendell Moore can do on a basketball court, but he brings all kinds of intangibles that I think NBA teams enjoy, even if they're not making roster space for him. So I, I don't know how much that uh, that applies to everybody, but I feel confident that and that 
Theo John will get himself a few NBA paychecks. Well, hey, like I said, I love Theo. I hope it happens. I'm somewhat skeptical that that's how it's going to turn out for can him. I, but it'd be wait, great. Can, can I, can I tell you something? Did. Yeah. Can I tell you the, the caveat that I always add when it comes to projecting NBA success, which Please. I've said here a million times, but I will reiterate uh, un, until I stop watching NBA basketball. Lance Thomas hung in the NBA for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, and when he graduated from Duke, if we were doing this podcast in 2010 and we said, hey, Lance Thomas signed a, I, I don't remember which team he, he signed his first like summer league deal with, but if it was like, Hey, Lance Thomas signed a summer league deal with the Knicks. We'd be like, man, no that's great. That that's great for him. I'm, I'm like so happy that he gets to play in summer league before he moves to Turkey. And, and he, he ended up having arguably the best NBA career of that entire championship team, save for Mason Plumley. Like did he, I think he lasted longer in the NBA than everyone else. If you don't count Seth Curry, who was, who was uh, transfer redshirting that year. I think Lance Thomas had a, had the second best NBA career on that championship team. Look, Lance Thomas, Lance Thomas not only carved out a 10-year career, there were several years where he was considered a vital piece of the team that he was playing on at that time. It wasn't like he was sitting on the bench and collecting checks and seeing two minutes a game. There were times where he was starting. There was times where he was like, they're like, oh, we have to re-sign Lance Thomas because he's that vital to this organization's progress right now. Like, that's a big deal. And, and honestly, Sam, I'm with you. I, I, I see Theo John earning a couple paychecks. Um, it, it, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to carve out a 10-year career like Lance Thomas did, but there is room for his kind of energy. There's room for his kind of rim protection. And there's room for that kind of, you know, just mental, just the attitude, right? Like the enforcer, but also a guy that teammates want to be around. There's room for that in the NBA. It may not be with the T-Wolves, but again, this is not necessarily for him to latch onto the T-Wolves. This is for him to get a look from every team in the National Basketball Association. And I think someone is going to take a chance on Theo John. Can by I way, but, wait, but, wait, no, no, no. Go, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do an over under here on Theo okay. John. Okay. Next spring will be the end of the 2023 NBA season. Year after that will be the end of the 2024 NBA season. So that'll be two years from now. Okay. Over under Theo John lasting into the 2025 season. What do you mean by lasting? As a at, at, like getting any NBA minutes in his third year out of college or any time beyond. It, Jason, it, you're going to take the under because you've just said you don't think there's a chance. I, m- yeah, my under is zero. I, uh, I'll, um, I'll take I'll take zero. I think that I think that Theo John I, again. I love Theo John. I love his attitude. I can see Theo John being a guy who has a future in coaching. I and I think he'll absolutely. He may play in the G League or he could play overseas. The NBA is a different animal. My, my total number of minutes, I think, NBA minutes, I think Theo John plays in his basketball career is zero. I'm sorry. That's just what I think. All right. I'm, take, I'm taking the over on that. You just, I, you, I'm, you're giving me the whole, the whole I'm taking I'm taking the over because all he has to do is literally step foot onto a basketball court in an NBA uniform and Sam and I win. So it's, guys, it's, dude, it's Lance hard Thomas, to make it in the NBA. Lance Thomas got multiple free agent contracts on the back of just being a guy who works really hard and isn't that athletic. Well, I was going to so, say, you know, the amazing thing about Lance Thomas, let's do this for a moment, just for a moment. So he graduates in 2010. He, he didn't, he, he didn't sign with any NBA he's, team. He's six, eight. Year. He has no jumper. And 
he is like a pretty good defender. Well, wait, wait, I want to give this to you. So in 2010, he graduated. He didn't even sign like a, you know, like a 10 day contract until 2012. Two years later, 2012 is the first time he ever makes any NBA money. He didn't become an NBA regular, like full contract until 2015. In his career, Lance Thomas earned more than $24 million from the NBA. $24 million. That's amazing. As a, as a guy who's, who's smaller than Cam Reddish and was <laughs> yeah, not a perimeter yeah. player mm-hmm. in college. Yeah. All right. Hey, guys. So I want to do one more thing before we go. And I, I bet Donald knows this. I think Sam probably doesn't. Imani Bates. This is not a Duke thing. This is just a college basketball thing. Donald knows this. Imani Bates announced where he's transferring. Imani Bates, folks, if you don't know the name, this Can guy I was guess? The, well, hold on. He was the number one player. Like he was literally on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old. The next LeBron James, the next Kevin Durant, Durant, sorry, was Imani Bates. He was the number one player in the class of 2023, but he went to school a year early. Sorry, in the class of 2022, he went to school a year early. He played at Memphis last year. He was a big deal for Penny. Even though he reclassified, he was still considered a top five recruit. He was not allowed to enter the NBA draft because he was too young. That's how good this guy was. Top five recruit, too young to enter the NBA draft. He transferred. Sam, I want you to guess. Actually, don't guess. You'll never guess. I'm going to tell you, and I want no, you to no, 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 no,
you led me so far astray. I knew that Imani Bates is from Michigan uh, because because I remember one of my my good friends who's a huge Michigan State fan, who I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before because I've I've seen Michigan State play Duke with him a couple times in the past at least, uh, was chirping to me about Imani Bates picking Michigan State because he originally committed to Michigan State because he was from mm-hmm. Michigan. When he was a sophomore, yeah. Yeah, when he yeah. was a sophomore, then he decommitted to go with Penny and – now he's he's right back in Michigan, just at a different green Michigan school. I, I want to be clear about something, though. And this is why this story is absolutely incredible. Um, he didn't have it's not like he picked Eastern Michigan over a bunch of other big, big, big time programs. The word on the street is that all the big time programs sort of kicked the tires a little bit. They looked at his tape. They talked to him a little bit and they were like, eh, you know what? We're fine. Imani Bates, a year ago, less than a year ago, nine months ago, was, like I said, top five recruit, the number one recruit in the class of 2022, and everyone just assumed he was going to be the number one pick in the draft. The projections are now that this kid may go undrafted next if he goes into the draft next year. May go undrafted? He just transferred to Eastern Michigan. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I've, I saw one projection that has him as like the the 52nd pick in next year's draft, like late in the second round. I, well, that, he did is, miss half. The, he did miss close to half the season last year due to injury. Yeah, but it's not like he was great when he was playing. He was whatever. Not- Harry Giles. Harry Giles missed most of his freshman season with injuries, and and, and still went sort of, like 19th. Yeah, and was like, basically the same. Right, same profile more or less coming out of high school, like electric athlete, big well, recruit, the- and then was injured a lot went to a big time program and like, let's be real. Harry Giles was like, not the most effective player. His freshman season at Duke still got drafted in the first round because well, well, he still had all the clear. makeup. And let's be clear. The difference in those two stories is everyone saw that Harry Giles wasn't playing well because he was hurt. And they were like, Oh, if he gets healthy, he can definitely play in the NBA. And Harry Giles is still, he's been playing in the NBA. Not great, but he's, he's had moments. He's earned NBA paychecks with Imani Bates. Sam, I'm sorry, Donald, you're right. He was hurt part of last year, but his poor performance was not because he was hurt. His poor performance was because he's just his skills are not translating the way people thought they would. I will say this. This is not the end. This is not the last we're going to hear of Imani Bates. And also, this is not a dead end for him as far as getting to the NBA. They have, uh, you know, a few guys that people may have heard of played at Eastern Michigan and made it to the NBA. Most recently, Earl Boykins, the short dude, five foot five. He made it to the NBA. Grant Long, longtime Piston, played on a lot of other teams. That doesn't matter because he played for the Pistons. And the Iceman cooketh, George Gervin, whose number remains in the Raptors at Eastern Michigan. George Gervin plied his trade at Eastern Michigan in Ypsilanti, Michigan. So Imani Bates can still do it. And he has the caliber, he has the, the pedigree to do it. And he has the talent and skill. He just needs to find a way to put it together. And for a lot of people, a lot of times they find their mojo when they return home. That's what Imani Bates is hoping to do. So, gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up here on episode 431 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I don't think we said the name. I may be wrong. I don't think we said the name of a single player on the uh, on next year's Duke basketball team on this podcast, did we? Kale Catchings. There, now we did. <laughs> Ryan we Young. Oh, are, are we going to play a game here? No, we're not going to play a game. We, we can Stanley. Name all the- Borden. We can name all the guys on the team. We don't need to Derek continue doing this. Lively, the second, the third, <laughs> second, the second. second. Yes, it's okay. The, it's the it's the the seconds that I can't 
that I can't keep track of. Juniors, fine. The seconds, <laughs> I don't know. Difficult. All right. I'm right here. I'm right here, man. <laughs> Donald Wine the second. That's for Donald Wine is a Donald Wine too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. For Donald Wine two, for Sam Klein one, for Jason Evans one, this has been episode 431 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. What is that? The junior, junior, senior, junior, whatever. I don't even know. Episode 431 is a lot. Hey, as always, we ask you, please write to us. We want to hear from you dbrpodcast at gmail.com like and subscribe blah 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 you know the you know the drill by now here's the duke band to play us out and take us home ipsy stand up so i just got back from the world premiere screening not the world premiere but the atlanta premiere screening of thor love and thunder oh nice yeah you know move I get to go to these screenings. I can see the movies a week or two in advance. Right. It was good. I enjoyed it. It is tonally really weird. Like it literally within a matter of seconds goes from like silly humor to mm-hmm. let's talk about how existentially this is a crisis of our personality and, and our entire being it, it, like the tonal shifts are just so difficult and, and the humor and I look, I love Taika Watiti, but his humor is 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 silly and almost juvenile. Mm-hmm. And and this is a lot like Thor literally goes from just cracking three stooges type jokes, just really, really, uh, like I said, really juvenile jokes to pondering his existence. And it's so it's just hard. It's tough. Yeah, the I don't know that audiences are going to love it. It's not it's not Thor Ragnarok. It's like he right. he did a great job of finding the balance between the humor and the story there, and I don't think he quite found it this time. I think with these um with this phase 4, I guess of Ugh, Marvel, it's not going it's, well. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if it's going well yet. I don't know if it's going terribly yet because I don't know what it's doing, right? Like we're getting yeah, we're, a lot of care we're getting a a buttload of characters right like all these be- like if you consider like the disney plus series um like all those the eternals the you know saying like you're getting a lot of background information on some of these characters i just don't know how they're all going to fit together fit other than other than the multiverse being a thing like that's the only thing that's kind of we've kind of seen a quote-unquote storyline carry over from one to the next um and and yeah and we've had, by the way, we've had like 10 or 12 stories told now between the movies mm-hmm. and the TV series. How mm-hmm. can we be 10 or 12 stories into this phase and us still not know what's going on with it? Yeah. The only that's, thing that's, that's a like problem. Said, that's the a only problem. thing that is carried over from the, from between the TV shows and the movies has been the idea that there is a multiverse out there and that it exists. But that's really, that's been addressed in obviously extensively in Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, extensively in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, and um, and, and 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 a bit in Spider Man, yeah, right. But other than those three, and and I mean, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, it was it was it was like a it was like almost half the movie. Yeah, where well, you realize that there is and, one that ex- again that you realize that there is one that it exists and that there is a way to operate within it. Like we know, like that is the only thing that Phase Four has really given us that we know. All these other yeah. characters, how they all fit together, other than again, like the occasional like Strange and 
and S- Spider-Man like linking up or something like that. A lot of these characters, I'm like, I want to see how they become involved in this whatever phase is supposed to where this phase right. is supposed to take us. We just don't know all that yet. Well, and it's no surprise that those three Loki, Multiverse of Madness, and Spider-Man No Way Home are the three best entries into phase four so far because mm-hmm. they actually felt like they had stakes and that they were going someplace and that they were telling us something that mattered and all the rest of the movies and TV shows just don't feel it's that kind way. of background. You're the worst. Guys, are we recording? I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> the we, <laughs> Wait, we... You were had, at a bar. You were at a I bar know. three minutes ago. I'm aware. So so I work in an office building. Uh, it has a bar. In, in a hotel. Um, and uh, there's a great bar downstairs. And we had like a big happy hour with the interns tonight. And... We are. I assume you're just going to put this in the in the outtakes. We're uh, maybe we're recording. We're recording. It's like nine thirty, and the happy hour started at six. So I was like, "This is like we agreed yesterday. Okay, we're going to record at nine fifteen or whatever." Uh, I'm like getting drinks with coworkers at six. Like I'm going to be totally fine because I'll be there for like an hour and a half, and then I'll go home, and it's going to be totally fine. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting at the bar and uh, Jason called me 10 minutes ago and yeah. I was like, oh, I guess it's 930. So anyway, uh, he still has a about? drink. My man there still you has go. a drink. Wait, I is that it. old fashioned? Yeah, I have. No, it's a it's a Manhattan. OK, OK, that's cool. It's Manhattan. Um, um, Jason. Yeah, Jason I, had, is- I had just ordered it. So this is perfect because I got to come up here and I still have a drink. <laughs> yeah. So, so in Jason, in, in true fashion, uh, Sam, what you missed was. Uh, Jason and I talking about um, started off as his uh, preview of the new Thor movie, and then oh, perfect into... that I missed this. Have we talked about my whole thing with Marvel? No, but here's the thing: this is going to be great because now we have a mid credit outtake, and now we have a post credit outtake, which is, is true, in Marvel. true Marvel fashion. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> <laughs>